0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from howstuffworks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Uh this is Robert Lamb
0: and I'm Julie Douglas.
1: And we were just talking about food prior to uh Jerry rushing us in here to actually record the podcast um about uh about how satisfying a meal can be to the uh, to the soul. Uh, but uh, it it can also have a huge effect on the mind, as we're going to uh, get into in this uh, particular podcast.
0: That's right. And what I'm thinking about specifically are butterflies in the stomach. Have you yeah. ever felt that? I'm sure you have.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, def- definitely definitely. Uh, not so much recently, but cer- certainly the earlier um, podcast, I would always get uh, get butterflies. The old days, like a year ago.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. And I think that when I first started, I actually. Mentioned to you once that my sphincter was talking to me and <laughs> had a horrified look on my face. And I, I wanted to uh, explain to you that I was having an emotional response manifested in my bowels, but I didn't know you well enough then.
1: Oh, well, I, I either blocked that comment entirely or, um, or didn't hear you. So yeah, yeah. Okay. I think you blocked
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the, um, <laughs> the reason why we're talking about this today is that there really is quite uh, a symbiotic Thing going on between the brain and the gut that we're just now really discovering.
1: Yeah, and when you do, when you have a satisfying meal, like the effects that can have on the, on the mind, or or even if it's not satisfying, just like a nutritious meal, and it's the uh, effects on the brain. We're gonna discuss uh, some of that uh, in, in this particular podcast. Now, the idea of Feeling something in your gut. I mean, this is just a, a common phrase. I've got a I've got a gut feeling about this,
0: or a gut instinct.
1: Yeah, and uh, and it goes back. It's all it's it's a pretty old thing an old concept. And it's easy to think of it in t- in the same same terms as like when someone says they have a feeling in their heart, because right. unless you're having like a heart attack, you know, there's a you're probably not really feeling anything. Like when you love somebody. It's It really doesn't have anything to do with your cardiovascular system.
0: Right, and yet you feel this. Yes. And heartache, too, and unrequited love, right?
1: Yes. Uh, I have a great uh, quote here. That's from a 1588 speech uh, to uh, the English troops uh, uh, to rally uh, them against the Spanish Armada by Queen Elizabeth I. And she is reported to have said, quote, I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England, too. So... Whoa. See, there's a great, you know, example. She's like, she's like, you know, I, I may be a, be a lady, but I've got one heck of a heart and one heck of a stomach.
0: She was invoking gut power.
1: Yeah. And there was a, I ran across another, like, really interesting thing from a, a Dutchman by the name of uh, Levinus Lemnius. Uh, and, LL. Yeah, LL. And, uh, and this is back in the 1500s. And he had this whole thing where he's talking about, um, how, uh, about the stomachs of the English and the Scots. And, uh. He had this whole bit about how uh, though they will, quote, uh, stomach a matter of eminently and a long time lodge an inward grudge in their hearts, whereby it happeneth that when their rage is up, they will not easily be pacified. Neither can their high and haughty stomachs or <laughs> stomach is it's a weird spelling right, uh, yeah. lightly be conquered. Otherwise, than by submission and yielding to their mind and appetite. So, wow. so this is just more of, you know, again, the stomach and the heart, you yeah. know, these old, these older, uh, accounts and, uh, and people were identifying like that is a, that's a seat of who you are. Like if you want to, you want to get to the, if you want to get to the, you know, the quote heart of the matter on, uh, on, you know, what makes an Englishman or a Scotsman, uh, look at their stomach. Great stomach specimens, these guys.
0: Uh. Ah. Yeah. Hence the haggis. Yes. Yes.
1: They're like, you want to, here it is. It's actually, no, it's not actually a Scotsman stomach, but anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think what, uh, I think they were on to something there. Yeah. 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 yeah
1: we, I think we, in recent ages, we, we kind of got more into that, the brain, you know, it's all about the brain. And then, you know, everything else is just, you know, plumbing, you know. Right. Yeah. It's just the generator to power it, but it's not the case. Um, I, 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 I really at all.
0: No, no. In yeah. fact, it was uh Dr. Michael Gershon who coined the term the second brain when referring to the gut because he actually brought in and in, into um, into everybody's uh, conscious the fact that the gut is doing so much more and has a lot more complexity to it than we ever realized. And I mean, like you said, people n- had an instinct maybe that their gut was pretty important. And, in fact, in the 1800s, uh, scientists and doctors began to make observations about the effects of the emotions on the brain. And in 1902, they actually did a study where they had a dog growl at a cat. And <laughs> then they watched and noticed, uh, I think they used barium, uh-huh. uh, and they noticed that the digestion started to slow down as the cat was growled at by the dog.
1: And again this is like a trackable substance in the digestive system so they can see at, at what rate the the cat's digestion system is moving
0: right exactly so All they right. could see this happening and they went ah oh, Eureka
1: the cat's stressed and it's not it's not uh, gonna poop as soon
0: exactly yeah. yeah exactly
1: which is which seems crazy that these scientists would even have to carry this out because I mean had they never been on a vacation before had they you know had they never I mean, it seems like I think everybody out there can probably attest to there being some situation in their life where they were out of their, you know, out of their their comfy surroundings and, right. and their digestion changed in some way, shape or form. Right. Like I've talked to, uh, to friends who like went on vacations and they're like, they're like, yeah, I was on my second day there and I, I still hadn't pooped. I don't know what was wrong with me. You know, and, and it's just your again, your your digestive system is altering to what may you know be a new rhythm, a new uh, um, you know, a new uh, you know level of stress coming at you.
0: Right, right, yeah. yeah, and then emotionally too. I mean, things happen, and then all of a sudden, you you know, your stomach starts to turn and twist, and you think, oh my gosh. But the the thing that scientists, specifically neurogastroenterologists, are starting to figure out is that it's not so much that your emotions are acting on your brain it may actually be that your gut your second brain is responsible for initiating these responses in the first place
1: yeah and in some of the ways that uh that this is happening it it makes me think of the stomach not so much as a second brain but kind of like a satellite office yes for the you know uh, for the brain the brain being the home office um like just some of the neural uh you know Circuitry, I guess you could say that that's wound up in the stomach is pretty neat.
0: Yeah, and it it's a really good design if you think about it that that neural circuitry is right next to the digestive system, right? Because mm-hmm. why would the brain expend the energy to send a hundred million neurons, you know, down to do the job when it could just put it right there in the wh- what we call the enteric nervous system, uh-huh. which is embedded in the lining of the gastrointestinal system. So it's really smart. It's sort of like putting the electrical panel right where it's needed. Right. And this uh, this system is actually independent in that it can start digestion processes independent of the brain. It can get a lot of things going. Um, as I mentioned, there are a hundred million neurons, which is more than the spinal cord and the peripheral nervous system. Mm-hmm. There are five hundred million nerve cells, and it uses thirty transmitters, neurotransmitters, just like the brain does. Wow. Like back in the day, this was thought to be nuts, this whole enteric nervous system. And in fact, um, it was first described by a British physician in 1921. Uh, but he was pretty much smacked down because people thought, no, no, it's all the brain. The brain is doing it. Um uh-huh. And so there actually Gershon pointed out that that making that sort of claim that there was this enteric system was like saying that New York taxi drivers never miss a showing of Tosca at the Met. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, they didn't know how important the gut is and no. how much it regulates our thoughts, our feelings. And, and
1: Tosca's opera, right? For, yes. for those of us who are, yeah, okay, that's right. Cool. That's
0: Tosca's an opera. I was about to sing an operatic note, but that's, oh wow. let us not che- let us not do that. It. Let's okay. not talk about poop and sing opera. <laughs> it's just not going to, that's not a good pairing. Um, but so anyway, that goes back to that sensation of feeling. You do feel things in your gut, mm-hmm. um, it, because you do have all of that stuff going on. And, This is another crazy fact, that 90% of the fibers in the primary visceral nerve, which is called the vagus, carries information from the gut to the brain. And that means that communication is mostly one-way. This is a one-way situation with the gut communicating 90% of the time to the brain. I mean, that is a chatty, chatty gut.
1: Yeah. You made a great analogy earlier about about, uh, teenagers in love.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like, yeah, teenagers in love, you know, getting on the phone all the time, being like, hey, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't know, what are you doing? What does this mean? What does that mean? I mean, literally the gut is doing the same sort of thing and, and constantly giving the brain all of this information about what's going on in the gut.
1: Yeah, satellite office constantly checking in with the home office and saying, hey, we just did this. Hey, we just did that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling this way. I don't know. I'm a little bit anxious. What about you? And so the brain is actually getting these, these, uh, messages of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's, backwards from what we thought before right we thought the brain was sending the gut messages saying hey i'm not feeling so great
1: as a sci-fi fan i can't help but think of the uh, just the, the many examples of uh you know these like head head in a jar kind of uh, situations or like head transplants you know where it's like the the human head or even just the brain yeah. you know as, as the seat of who we are taken and like say attached to a robot body or put in another body etc and i, I and granted, there's some sort of there's some grotesque aspects of that that are, you know, could be troubling. But, you know, in a way, it's also a very kind of enlightened kind of not enlightening kind of view where it's like I'm my brain and everything that I am really doesn't have anything to do with all this gross stuff going on uh in my uh, in my stomach and elsewhere. You know, right. So it's kind of this like liberation from uh from all things related to uh, digestion and poop and all that. But in reality, it, you have to look at it from more of a holistic standpoint where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, yeah, we, we are in a sense, we are just our brains, but I
0: thought you were going to say we are our poop.
1: No, 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 <laughs> no, but no, it's like we are our brains, but we are, we are, but the brain's connected to everything else. It's like, we are this system. We are this, this, uh, this organism. And, uh, and if you start trying to cut one system from the next and, uh, and trying to isolate who and what we are to one particular, uh, part of that organism, it gets kind of problem. I mean, it gets rather problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I think we need to step away from the brain centric and, and look at this gut in a more serious light. Um, especially the interplay between the gut and the brain mm-hmm. and specifically serotonin.
1: Yes. Yeah. This is a big one.
0: Yeah. This is the, um, the, what is known as the mood neurotransmitter. And it's responsible, um, when not in sufficient quantity for actually, they think causing depression. Right. So.
1: So yeah, if you've ever dealt with depression or just or have ever walked into a health store, then you've probably seen serotonin uh, cited on you like know, numerous uh, bottles of either prescription medicine or um, mysterious uh, vitamin pills.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And so, just so you can kind of get a better context too of how important serotonin is. Of our 40 million brain cells, most are affected by serotonin. So this includes the brain cells, as we said, related to mood, but also sexual desire and function, appetite, sleep, memory and learning, uh, temper- temperature regulation and some sort of social behavior, such as, you know, sometimes when we get manic or aggressive, that's attributed to low serotonin levels. Right. So the crazy thing about this is that your gut and mine uh, houses 95 percent of our serotonin available wow. to us, which is nuts if you think about it. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And then you also look at serotonin and depression and you look at antidepressants and we know that with antidepressants also called SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, that those increase serotonin levels in the brain and they improve mood. Okay. Okay. So. We can't actually measure how much serotonin is in the brain, but we do know that if we give someone a bunch of antidepressants, that it helps to increase the serotonin. It makes us feel a lot better. So it starts to beg the question of what's going on in the gut and whether or not there are imbalances in the gut there, which are causing disorders, depression, um, even related to Parkinson's, for instance.
1: This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Now, you mentioned disorders. Uh, it's, I think it's important to then touch on disorders that we've long attributed to is more of a gut-centric thing, such yes. as IBS, right? Right. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, and uh, in, in, uh, in, 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 I don't know. Can you can you describe what irritable bowel syndrome is?
0: It's basically brought on by anxiety and depression. Because okay. this is what we thought about or typically in the past. And this manifests itself with diarrhea, cramping, and it's, I mean, it's awful, right? It's its debilitating. It's not just, oh, you know, I've got a stomach ache. It, it can be really horrible for people. And,
1: and it's like a day-by-day thing. It's not like, yeah. you know, oh, I you know, it's chronic. ate something weird. No.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it affects like 20% of the American population, which is crazy.
1: So the previous answer was, "Oh, you have IBS. Well, you know, it's it's all psychosomatic. You need to cheer up, basically. Right. Uh, you need to get your get your mind together, and then your bowel will follow."
0: <laughs> That's a song, right? Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that um, for your mind. Uh, but, but what they're starting to figure out is that people with IBS don't have enough cert. And cert is basically a serotonin transmitter. Okay. Which, um, whisks serotonin out of your digestive lining. And so let me back up a little bit. Serotonin, one of its jobs is to leak itself into your gut and basically start the digested, digestion process, right? So uh-huh. it basically signals, hey, that we need to go ahead and, and start breaking this down. But if you've got IBS, you, you've got the serotonin floating around in your gut and you don't have enough of that cert to take it all away. So what happens is that you just, you've got horrible things going on in your digestive system that you cannot stop. So it's an imbalance in your gut. It's not necessarily brought on by anxiety or depression. Those are actually the, the secondary results of that.
1: Now, there, but there's also the argument, right, that, that, uh... I mean, the whole idea of not being able to leave your toilet uh, for an extended period of time is pretty depressing. Right. So, um,
0: yeah, I guess there's that chicken egg question, yeah. right?
1: Yes. Yeah, like maybe, maybe I'm, am I, am I, you know, do I have irritable bowel syndrome because I'm depressed or am I depressed because I have irritable bowel syndrome? Who's running the show, the brain or the gut?
0: Right, right. And can I ever leave this toilet anytime soon? <laughs> yeah, I can see how that would be depressing. Uh, but I think it's a really interesting piece of research that's emerged and yeah. it tells us a lot more about how our mood is actually being regulated by our gut. And some, some uh, scientists are even saying, well, maybe it's not, especially with IBS and, and mental disorders, maybe it's not so much that uh, the person is, you know, having these problems because they are anxious or they're depressed, but maybe it's a mental illness of the gut itself. Yeah. Because you can't blame someone for not having enough cert to whisk away the serotonin. That just happens to be the, the way that their gut is, right? right. That's not necessarily um, a primary factor of their disease.
1: Yeah, this is an area of study, uh, this, the, the interrelation between uh, gut and brain that uh, that uh, hopefully we're going to have more and more data on in, yeah. the, in the years ahead. And uh, and it and it's it's kind of if you look at the, at medicine as a, as a as a whole it's like you've you've seen the, you know nutritionists playing a, a more of a vital role in medicine uh, in recent years so so I you know I'm tempted to see those as as, uh, as two prongs of the same movement you know as we uh, as we begin to realize that that you know more and more that we are what we eat and we are this full system. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, our, it's what our brain, the chemicals our brain, uh, receive, the chemicals our, our, you know, our stomach deals with, that it's all a part of, uh, of who we are.
0: Yeah, and I think that another interesting aspect of this is, you know, we've talked about internal versus external, but there is one study in which young rats were separated from their mothers. And the layer of cells that line the gut weakened, and that allowed bacteria from their intestines, and it stimulated a bunch of immune cells. Huh. So basically, the immune system went into full force. And so um, the person who noted this in, in the rats said it's basically an adaptive response, and that if they're born into a stressful, hostile environment, that nature programs them to be more vigilant and stress-responsive in their future life. So... This same doctor is a neurobiologist, uh, Dr. Mayer, said that 70% of the patients that he treats for chronic gut disorders had experienced early childhood traumas, like a parent's divorce or chronic illnesses or parent's death. So there is still this relationship to how we are biologically responding to our external stimuli, in a sense.
1: Um, I'll raise your uh, rats with mice uh, because... uh I ran across an interesting study from Yale Medical School where um, there's a there's this a substance called uh, ghrelin, and uh, this is released by the stomach when it's empty and triggers yeah. hunger mm-hmm. uh, by uh, by binding to the hypothalamus, and that's a part of the brain that controls appetite and metabolism. Uh, however, the hormone is also known to interact with the uh, hippocampus, which is the seat of learning and memory. Okay. So uh, they injected mice uh, with with uh, with a little extra of this substance and found that the uh, these mice consistently outperformed ordinary mice in memory and learning tests and it was like a rate of like by like 30 or 40 percent okay and then they also um uh sapped some mice of uh, of this particular substance and uh, found that they underperformed on test so their argument uh, was uh, in this study was that uh, if, if an animal is hungry it needs extra brain power mm-hmm. uh to find that next meal uh, so um you know, a c- cognitive brain is a, you know, side effect of hunger kind of argument, which I think is, is kind of interesting. And, and makes me, uh, makes me think of like fasting situations, you know, where, you know, especially, you know, you, you look at like old biblical, uh, uh, accounts of, you know, someone will set out in the, the desert to fast and contemplate some, you know, some huge problem or, you know, or, or theological uh, inquiry, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, uh, it, it's interesting when I fasted, I mainly just, um, um, felt grumpy washed a, a lot of buffy the vampire slayer and uh, chipped my tooth on a uh, coffee mug but uh, <laughs> but in a way i could i also there was like a weird you know, i don't know it's it, it you definitely feel the effects on your mind when when you do something like that which just you know underlines again the connection between the gut and the brain
0: yeah yeah and this is interesting too if if you don't sleep well mm-hmm. you actually the uh overproduce ghrelin right in your because your body thinks that since it didn't get enough rest, that it's in some sort of panic mode and uh-huh. it needs more energy. And you end up eating a lot the next day, which is, the, again, that whole balance thing. And, yeah, you're you're probably a little bit uh, cranky.
1: And uh, this is something we're going to touch on in a future podcast uh, more. But, uh, you know, our gut is not just um, a part of us. It's also an environment for a number of uh, fascinating creatures. That's right. Not just the ones we ate.
0: <laughs> Trillions of bacteria that greatly outnumber our own gut cells, which kind of begs the question about whether or not we're just hosts for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. If the, if the, the contents, if the creatures in our stomach are dictating how the stomach behaves and the stomach is talking to the brain,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, then maybe, maybe these guys are the, the true masterminds of all the really stupid stuff. We That's do. what
0: I was thinking. It's sort of like the matrix that we're just the host. It's not the aliens though that, that we're the <laughs> energy for. It's just the, Bacteria in there.
1: I was really, th- you blew me away with this particular fact about um, how um, the, uh, generally the Japanese in particular have bacteria in their guts that produce enzymes that help digest seaweed. And North Americans tend to lack this uh, same uh, property in their system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there was some sort of exchange there between bacteria and man that found its way into the genome for, for uh, Japanese who ate sushi uh-huh. or eat sushi. Uh, that we just don't have, which is again another indication of how crazy that gut is and, and yeah. what, what that bacteria, that wily bacteria is doing to us.
1: Yeah. Like, so the next time you order seaweed salad, uh, at your favorite, uh, Japanese restaurant, think about it. Is, you know, I <laughs> look around the, uh, the restaurant and say, hmm, that guy's gut is going to do a lot better job than this, uh, this old gut here. So
0: it's says, sir. I admire your digestion. Yes. (laughs) Or don't say that, really.
1: So, hey, I have some uh, listener mail here for us. Uh, We've had a number of uh, really uh, cool comments about uh, recent podcasts, um, both uh, sent to us uh, via email and also uh, on Facebook. Uh, So, uh, here's one from a uh, reader by the name of Thomas, and Thomas is uh, responding to our podcast on um, in which we probe daily abductions uh, from a yeah.
0: propaganda yeah
1: exactly from a, a skeptics point of view I should add for anyone who hasn't heard it and um, he uh, had this to say I've never been abducted or had any experience in which I believe I've met a little green man but I have epilepsy specifically I have nocturnal tonic clonic and complex partial seizures typically they are all controlled with medication so don't fear however Uh, What I want to tell you about is my experiences with the complex uh, partial seizures. These seizures manifest as a sudden flashing box in the corner of my eye accompanied by tunnel vision. I mention this because I think your observations of the brain creating scenarios out of frightening experiences such as sleep paralysis are extremely astute and relevant to my complex partial seizures. Why? Because in addition to the flashing box and tunnel vision, I become paranoid and my mind creates a scenario in which I believe someone is sneaking up on me just out of the corner of my vision. I believe this is caused by, by uh, vulnerability as my mind creates a scenario. So, uh... That was really interesting because uh, in the, the podcast we discuss a number of things uh, that can go on neurologically, right. that that our brain ends up creating um, a scenario for, and that scenario, and a lot of times, ends up being uh, an alien abduction encounter or an encounter with something from the spirit world or a demon or you know or, or any or any number of of uh, paranormal experiences.
0: Right, and all of those sort of experiences have different um, hallmarks. Uh, that that are similar for right. every story, right? With, yeah. with uh, the person being in the room or being yeah. spirited away.
1: Yeah. So, um, so Thomas, thanks for sharing that with us. And if anybody else has any experiences like that that they that they either have misinterpreted as an alien abduction or can easily see how it could be uh, interpreted by the um, by the person experienced it as an alien um, abduction, then then do tell us because we're we're, we're very interested to hear about that. We also uh, heard from a listener by the name of Elizabeth who wanted to uh, make a quick point uh, regarding our podcast uh, titled Evolutionary Hangover. And uh, she says, quote, I'm fascinated by vestigial traits. I'm a grad student in ecology and evolutionary biology. So I was really excited when I saw the topic pop up in my iTunes. However, I literally cringed at Robert's Robert's suggestion that evolution is somehow, quote, hanging on, unquote, to vestigial traits in in cases where we need them for the future. Uh, that just isn't how evolutionary, ev- that just isn't how evolution works. There's no way a population could experience natural selection for future conditions. Evolution by natural selection occurs because individuals with certain, um, uh, properties tend to, on average, to leave greater numbers of descendants than individuals, uh, with other properties. Uh, that's it. Evolution isn't a sentient force. So, uh, a very good point to make. Uh, I, I did, to quote, um, a creative writing professor of mine by the name of Alan, uh, Ellen Wire, uh, I did personify like a mad god a little bit in that podcast, uh, in order to, uh, to try and, you know, break it down. Uh, but it is, yeah, it is very important to realize that evolution does not, does, does not really think about anything. It is not a
0: independent, a, yeah. uh, entity.
1: So, uh, so yes, keep that in mind, uh, as you, uh, as you listen to some of these analogies. Uh, but, uh, but definitely, uh, Elizabeth, thank you for breaking that down for us. Uh, she also, uh, sent us a couple of, uh, studies relating, um, the human, uh, vomeronasal organ. And, uh, specifically she pointed to a study, uh, in which, uh, they found that, uh, smelly t-shirts mm-hmm. could conceivably, uh, turn a member of the opposite sex on. Cause so. it's got the
0: whole pheromones and, yeah. and, and they would be, uh, sniffing out someone who had a greater diversity in their yeah. DNA or something.
1: So that's, uh, yeah, far from subtle science, the whole, uh, uh, issue of human pheromones. But, uh, anyway, Elizabeth, thanks for, uh, pointing it out. We're always happy to, uh, hear feedback and, uh, Clarifications from uh, folks in the know, and we're lucky enough to have a number of visitors, uh, a number of listeners who fall into that category. Uh, we also received uh, some email back about our, um, our podcast about music in the brain, uh, specifically about earworms. Uh, I had asked the question, uh, are, are, there, are there other people out there who only have uh, musical earworms without lyrics? Uh, I've, I've often found that I, I don't really run into people who experience that, but I only get like tunes caught in my head, not the lyrics, for the most part. And I uh, heard back from uh, a listener by the name of Emily, and she says, uh, Hello, I was just writing. I wanted to reassure Robert that no, you are not the only one that gets lyricless music stuck in his head. This happens to me quite frequently, especially when it comes to musical acts such as Plaid and Bonobo. And uh, we followed up, and she's uh, actually a number uh, a fan of a number of really cool uh, musical choices, such as uh, Boards of Canada, so I have to give her a thumbs up for that as well. And then uh, one more uh, on the uh, the music front. Uh, listener David writes, and it says, I'm in the same boat as Robert in the sense that I don't think I've ever heard a lyrical earworm. Since childhood, all of my earworms have been instrumental, and it's one of the reasons I became a musician. I was a really late bloomer musically and didn't touch my first in- instrument until I was 16 due to the complete lack of funding for childhood music programs in the area I grew up in. And he goes on to say, uh, now that I'm in college and taking proper musical music theory classes, I have expanded my repertoire of instruments. Um, my newfound consciousness about the world of music that surrounds us has really redefined the way I view my life. So I found that really interesting as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we got a lot of feedback on that and a lot of people, uh, Said that they didn't have lyrics like you as well, which I thought was pretty surprising. I thought everybody had the any musical. I was yes, well, yeah. but, yes, but
1: yeah. But you know, but a good
0: one. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we would uh, we would love to hear back uh, from people about uh, this podcast, though, uh, about the uh, interplay between the gut and the mind. Let us know uh, what your gut is thinking about. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook as Blow the Mind. Uh, we're constantly updating that. And, uh, and by all means, if you like the show, uh, check out that Facebook page and click the like button. Uh, and, and also, you know, please do us a favor, go into iTunes if you like the show and uh, leave us a little uh, positive feedback, maybe you know, some, uh, some nice, generous star ratings.
0: Indeed. And if you have any uh, gut instincts you want to share, please email us at blowthemind at com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.